We'll go ahead and take a seat, everyone. Good morning. My name is Jason Doman. I am the youth pastor here at Alpine Church. Uh, and I don't know what you guys did uh, to have me here twice in a two-week period, but you guys screwed up. So uh, you're going to pay the price now today. So uh, I just have one thing I want to share with you guys before we go on, on this. Our youth ministry... Uh, is, is our junior high and high school ministry at 7th through 12th grade. Uh, so I, see, I do see a lot of new faces here. I don't know if you came at Easter and you're, and you're returning. I'm, I'm glad you're here, though. Uh, but if you have a, a, a student or just somebody you know who's not plugged into a youth group, man, we would love to get connected to them, get them plugged in. So uh, we meet on Wednesdays at our Riverdale campus at 7 o'clock. But my announcement for today is we do not have Fusion this week because we have a United Worship event on Friday. Uh, this, is, this is one of my favorite things to do throughout the year with our youth group. We get all of the campuses together. We have an extended night of worship, uh, and we're going to do some baptisms that night. So again, if, if you have students who maybe they've been questioning, they've been thinking about getting baptized, maybe God's put that on their heart, they have some questions, that we would love to dunk them that night. We would love to have parents there to do it too, so parents are invited to come to this event if you would like to join us and see kind of what we do in our youth group, uh, but that is this Friday at our Riverdale campus at 7 o'clock. All right, so that's, that's all I have for, for youth stuff, so we are going to get into this brand new series that we're kicking off called The Jesus Way. And so coming out of Easter where we celebrated uh, Jesus' death, burial, and, and resurrection, kind of the, 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 what, what Christianity is all about, we thought, man, what a better thing to do coming out of that than to look at the way Jesus asks us to live our life. We got to celebrate and see how he lived his life, and now he calls us uh, to, to live our life a certain way. And so we're going to be looking at uh, probably his most famous teaching, one of his most famous teachings, we'll be looking in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount covers three chapters, it's, it's Matthew's, Matthew's, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to be looking at specifically Matthew chapter 5, okay, and Matthew chapter 5 is broken into two parts. The first part of, of Matthew chapter 5 is where we get the Beatitudes, right, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are lowly in spirit, blessed, so on and so on, right. The second part of that is, is where we, we kind of focus on this idea that, that Jesus repeated himself six times. Okay, Jesus said something six times specifically throughout this, and, and, and so the main theme of Matthew's gospel is, is how to live in Jesus' kingdom. If Jesus is king, or rather since Jesus is king, and I want to follow him, then this is what my life should look like, okay? And so he gives us these, these six different uh, comparisons, and, and what they're really called is, is and this is, I don't, I don't struggle to say a lot of words, but this word is one of those that gets me every time, so I apologize for whatever comes out of my mouth today, right? But the antithesis, or the antitheses, which is really just a comparison, an opposite. So six times throughout this, this in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but I say this. Okay, so these, these are the antitheses, and uh, about halfway through Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something that, that really gives us uh, kind of an idea of, of where he's going with all this. So he says this, starting in verse 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and death disappear, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So we, we have to remember that, that, that Judaism, it was governed by the law of Moses. 
Okay, it, it was revered by the Jewish people. It was everything to faithful Jews. And so Jesus, when he comes, uh, people accuse him of trying to undermine the Old Testament law. Jesus says, that's not, I did not come to, to undermine the law. Rather, I came to accomplish its purpose or, or literally to fulfill the Old Testament law's purpose. Of all people, Jesus, he reveres and he honors the Old Testament law more than anybody else, even above Right, the religious leaders, even above the Pharisees, Jesus, Jesus reveres the Old Testament. Now, here's the thing: Jesus is is going to to speak and act as one who has authority. Okay, even authority over the Old Testament law. And so, for a lot of these people, they don't know who Jesus truly is. And so, when he begins to question and and to challenge the Pharisees, to to a lot of these people, this is this is going to look like uh, like if a, if a custodian at a law firm approached the, 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 the judges of the Supreme Court and challenged them on their interpretation of the Constitution, okay? And I apologize if you're a custodian of the law firm. That's not what this is about, okay? But it, it would look out of place. It would seem out of place to a lot of people. And so a lot of these people are like, what, what is Jesus doing? What is, he, what is he talking about? How is he, how is he going to challenge the religious leaders of the day? But what we're, what we're going to see is that the law points forward to the way of Jesus, all of these things point forward to the way of Jesus. And Jesus, he fulfills the law in, in really in two different ways. First, all of it points towards him. All of it points towards Jesus. All of the prophecies, all, all of the, the sacrificial system, like all of it points towards Jesus. And then the second way he fulfills it is he, he really gives us the, the final and authoritative understanding of the law. And all of that is embodied in, in, in what we're calling the way of Jesus, And so as you can see, uh, the first antithesis that we're going to look at today has to do with anger, all right, anger management. And, and more accurately, it has to do with how Jesus compares anger and, uh, to murder. Again, Jesus did not come to undermine the law, and so when he says to them, you've heard it said that you should not murder, he doesn't say, but I say, murder's okay now. Right? He doesn't just change the law. He, com- he comes to fulfill the law. So instead, he points us beyond this, this, this outward action of taking someone's life, and he challenges us to look at the underlying heart attitude, the, the motive that would drive someone to murder, and then how he compares how each of those, anger and murder, are, are equally subject to God's judgment. So here's the, the first idea, the, the, the key to, to this whole first contrast. It's that murder is just the tip of the iceberg for anger. But just like a, a real iceberg, there's more that lurks underneath the surface. So think about the last time you lost your temper. The last time you were really angry at something, like what was the reason, what was, what was going on, what were you reacting to? For me, it, it wasn't that long ago. It was just this morning when I walked in and somebody talked trash on my Raiders mug. And listen, like, I don't know if you guys understand, to be a pastor and a Raiders fan, like, the struggle is real, okay? Because my first instinct was just to stab. I'll just stab and I'll ask questions later. Amen. Yeah, right? But I thought that's probably not a good illustration on the day we're talking about anger. So I didn't. I controlled myself. All joking aside, think about what, the last time you really lost your temper about something. And then think about what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, 
you are subject to judgment. So murder is clearly forbidden in the Old Testament, right? But not all killing is forbidden. Right? There's things like self-defense. There's things like accidental manslaughter. Right? There's, things, there's things like that, that that is not forbidden. There's penalties, but it's not forbidden in the Old Testament like murder is, like the taking of innocent life. If, if you do that, you are subject to judgment. And not just God's judgment, right, but also in a court of law. And there's something about murder that, that even from a young age, like we just know that that's wrong. Right? Without even being told, we just know that, that taking someone's life is wrong. And by using similar language here, Jesus is, is equating the two. He's, he's equating the two of, of what's going on. And so Jesus, he goes on to say that, that murder is not the only thing that's subject to judgment. So is anger. Okay, so is anger. And, and, and so he equates the two. He says that they're, they're, they're one and the same. They have the same uh, in God's view, right? If you are angry at somebody, you are guilty of murder. You are subject to judgment. Now, of course, one is, is far more serious than, than the other when we talk about social consequences, right? Like if, if I would much rather you just be angry with me than to murder me. Right, that we're both going to have a bad day if, if, if that happens. Like, it's just not going to be a good thing. And so just there's, there's, there's the social uh, repercussions of that are, are, are much different. And most of us will probably never commit murder, hopefully. But every single one of us is going to experience anger in our life. Every single one of us is, is, is going to be angry at someone. And the root uh, emotion behind murder is, is anger. Think about the most basic impulse of anger, right? It's to make someone pay for their offense against us, right? And maybe not even someone. If you're like me, really if you're an idiot like me, like it's not even people. It's not just people, right? Like I get angry at inanimate objects, right? If you've ever stubbed your toe on a table, like my initial thought is like I want to dump gasoline on the table and light it on fire and watch it writhe in agony, and it's a totally logical line of reasoning. Okay, so don't stop judging me. I see the way you're looking at me, right? Like that's how we should react to the table when it stubs our toe, right? So it's, it's not just people, inanimate objects are, are, are a thing for me, but when we get mad at people, the, the root behind that is because we want them to pay. We want to make them pay for something that they did to us. And look, yeah, there's, there's such thing as righteous anger, right? Like a lot of people turn to this as their defense. Yes, there is righteous anger. Okay, God's anger is righteous, and it's just, it's perfect, it's always. But for us, it typically doesn't line up. Okay, it's very rare for us to have righteous anger. Sometimes we'd like to think that it's righteous, right? We like to think that the things that upset us also make God mad. But it's very rare that our anger lines up with, with something that, that, that upsets God or breaks God's heart. Most often, our anger is, is really just a selfish response to being insulted or, or hurt in some way. In response, we want to inflict pain ourselves by doing or saying something harmful to that person. Jesus, he gives us, he gives us two examples to kind of make that connection of what we typically do. The first one is name-calling, okay? And it, later in verse 22, it says, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Okay, so this is, this is slander, is what we call it, right? This is slander, when we attack someone with words. So murder is above the surface, acts of violence are above the surface. This name calling is a little bit more low key, right? But it's still above the surface. 
It's still, we, can still see it, it, we can see it happening. Murder, it takes away someone's life. And slander is related to that because it, it, it also takes something away from people. It takes away their dignity. It takes away their value and their worth. Okay, and that's why we call it character assassination. So that's the first example Jesus gives us. The second one he gives us is cursing. We curse someone, okay? It says, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, cursing, this would usually be below the surface, not always, okay, but because our, our hateful thoughts might not ever be openly expressed, people might not ever know, but it shares the, the, the same attitude and intentions of murder, of violence, of, of, of slander, and the same is true for, for other forms of, uh, of inner aggression, like, like, like passive aggressiveness, okay, or road rage, Right, you're alone in your car and, and you are just, right, and I, this is my, like, road rage is my jam. I do that, I get very angry at people. Like, if they pass me, I assume they want to race me. It could be a minivan with a grandma driving, and I'm like, oh, okay. Right, and so road like, but road rage we think is like this inner thing, like it's okay, right, because we're in our car by ourselves. No, like, that's, it's still the same intention. God still views that the same way. And so, how do we, how do we defeat our anger. How do, we, how do we defeat road rage? The key to victory over anger is to see yourself as the offender, not the offended. To see yourself as the offender, not the offended. So in these, in these next verses we're going to look at, Jesus, he kind of he adds a surprising twist to this whole, to this whole story. Okay? When we think of anger, we, we typically think of someone else's anger and how it hurt us. Right, how what they did when they were angry, how it hurt us, or we think of how somebody else made us angry. And that's typically where, where we go with that. But Jesus, he flips the script a little bit, starting in verse 23. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, I, I would suspect, I think most of us would think that Jesus is going to say, if you, if you have something against someone, right? If you're at the temple and you're praising God and you're about to offer and, and you remember that you have something against God, you should go and take care of that. You should go and apologize and handle that. That's what I would expect Jesus to say here. And, and he does say that elsewhere in, in the Gospels, but here it's the opposite. Right? He says you're worshiping in the temple and it suddenly strikes you that, that someone has something against you. You've offended someone in some way. See, anger works both ways, right? But we, we, we rarely consider how we've caused anger in someone else. Right? We, rarely, we rarely think about that or how our anger has hurt them. The uh, Expositor's Bible Commentary, it says it like this. It says, when you, are, when you are on the way to court with your adversary... Nope, that's wrong. I'll just read it to you. I guess there's not a slide for that. All right. So the uh, Expositor's Bible Commentary says this. It says, we are more likely to remember when we ourselves have something against others than when we have done something to offend others. If we are truly concerned about our anger and hate, we should be no less concerned when we engender them in others. Okay, so this is a, a pretty radical principle of, of Jesus' kingdom, to, to first look at things from the other person's perspective and not just our own. Right, to do that, to do that first so in verse 23, when, when, when Jesus says, when someone has something against you, someone literally translates to a brother, right? When a brother has something against you, so he's suggesting someone in relationship with you. Maybe it's a, a, another follower of, of Jesus. Maybe it's just someone that you're close to or that you identify with at some level. 
But then look at the, the contrast to that in, in Matthew 25, 5.25. And here's where I was. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown into prison. So here it's, it's not a brother, it's, it's an adversary, someone who is taking you to court. Right? And even beyond that, it's, it's, it's an accuser, which implies that they are the offended party and you are the offender. So Jesus is stirring things up here, right? Now he's addressing the audience, he's addressing his listeners as if they are the offenders. Okay? Not, not the ones who are being offended. So he stretches us to, to see things from another person's perspective. To think about the effects of, of, of anger and, and hatred from, from that angle. Okay, and, and, and the way that, that Jesus goes beyond anger, he, he takes us to reconciliation. Okay, Jesus goes beyond anger and he, he takes us all the way to reconciliation. Because if you don't find reconciliation in those relationships, you're going to be the one who pays the price. You will be the one paying the final price, okay? Whether it's a brother or an adversary, Jesus' priority is, is, is reconciliation. Reconciliation is, is what heals the, the damage of, of anger and, and of hatred. Now, when Jesus w- was talking to these people, when he tells them to, to leave their, their, their sacrifice at the altar and go and make amends, right? He's talking to the people in Galilee, these people are, are, are really far away from the temple in Jerusalem. So this would have been crazy for them to hear, right? Because they've traveled all the way there. They don't get to go to the temple very often. They would have traveled all the way there. And Jesus is saying, if you remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice and go and take care of it. That would be wild for him to say that to them. And maybe just to put it in perspective, it, for, for us today, because we don't go to the temple and, and do praise like that, but maybe we're sitting in service, Right? And we're praising God like our favorite worship song is on, and we're getting into it. We're lifting God up in praise, and, and, and we make eye contact with somebody, right? And you know that there's some tension, there's something going on. I don't want to look at any right now because I don't want you to think that I'm talking about you. Right? But you know that there's something going on, and, and, and you're in the middle of praise. Like, what do you do? And you might be tempted to think, well, oh, it's just Laurie. She's mad at everybody anyway. I, I'm sorry. I had to fit a Laurie joke in there. But what do we do? Because that's a real situation, right? We do have problems. We do have struggles with people that we go to church with, people that we know are followers of Christ with us. And Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing and make amends. Go and fix that situation. Jesus wants us to go all all the way to reconciliation in that relationship. Otherwise, we will be the one paying the price. And Jesus, he gives us a, a sense of urgency to that reconciliation, Right? Stop what you're doing. Leave, it at, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Stop and go do it. And then in, in verse 25, he brings back the, 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 the urgency. He says, when an adversary takes you to court, settle your differences quickly. Don't let it escalate. And here's the hard part, you guys. And, and, and we totally understand this, that, that we have no control over how a person might respond. We have no way of knowing how this person is going to respond to our reconciliation attempts, and, and that's why I think a lot of people just don't bother. Right? They're, they're, they're scared of being rejected, or they've been rejected in, in the past, and they don't want to deal with that again. Right? They don't want to feel the brokenness of that relationship again. But Romans 12, 8, 18 says this. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. 
Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. So why, why the urgency? See, reconciliation, it, it really reflects the heart and the mission of Jesus. Look what it says in 1 Colossians, beginning in verse 21. It says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet now he's, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. See, he made the, the ultimate sacrifice to reconcile us to God. The Bible says that, that we were enemies of God. We were his adversaries. And Jesus paid the, the highest price possible to make us right with him. But there's another reason that, that we need to pursue reconciliation versus anger. And, and we've seen that, that anger is often about making the other person pay. Right? That's, that, that's often what, what our end goal is to, is to make that other person pay. But Jesus ends this section with, with, with another twist in his story. And he points out that, that we are ultimately the ones who are going to pay for our own anger. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 26, right? this, is, this is right after verse 25 where we got thrown in prison. Right? So it says, and if that happens... You surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Okay, until you have paid the last penny. If we don't settle our differences with our adversary quickly, we are the ones who are going to be hurt. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that the anger right, is like drinking poison and hoping that it kills the other person. Right? We, you drink the poison and you hope that somehow that damages the other person. That's what holding on to anger is like. That's what having unforgiveness in your life is like. And so Jesus calls us to do something different. We're the ones who are going to be hurt, hurt here. And he's using an example from the, the court system of that day. Right? Because you, you actually could be thrown into prison if you had debt. And you would be kept in prison and, 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 until you paid that. And so he says, settle your differences quickly. So let's go back to our iceberg, right? So we have the, this view of, of murder being just the tip of the iceberg, right? That, that's the, the end goal, or not the goal, but that's, that's, the, that's the end game of, of anger. When our anger reaches that, that tipping point, finally it ends in murder. And so we have these other things that are above the surface, and then the things that are a little bit below the surface. And again, name calling. He says, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Okay, and the word used here for court, it's, it's, it's a little bit vague, right? It, it could be the court of law, like, like as the case with murder, because slander is a legal crime. Okay, it, it could be that, but it, it could simply mean God's court, that we're answerable to God. Right? We have to answer to God when, 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 we, when we use words like that, when we call people names. So it's a little bit vague, but the end is, is quite a bit more um, explicit when he talks about cursing. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. That's a pretty big deal. And the reality is that, that no court of law has ever punished someone for uh, a crime of the mind. But Jesus knows what's going on in our mind. Jesus knows what, what, what lurks in the dark, right? He knows our murderous thoughts. He knows our intentions. And those things expose us to God's judgment. And that's why anger is equivalent to murder. That's why Jesus says, even if you have anger in your heart, you're subject to judgment. 
And in the very next chapter, this is still part of Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he, he really, he drives this home with, with even greater force. And I think this is probably one of the scariest passages in all of scripture. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's terrifying. Like, that is an extreme call to forgiveness. That is an extreme call to reconciliation. So reconciliation of our relationships is is so important. And, And in some ways, unwillingness to forgive is, is really a litmus test of our faith, right? Do we, do we really believe God's word? Do we really believe what Jesus said? So if you have broken relationships in your life, Jesus calls you to seek reconciliation. See, Jesus reveals the, the, the true direction of God's law when it, when it comes to murder. No one would dispute the murder is wrong, right? No, nobody would, would dispute that, but so is the heart behind murder. The heart behind it is, is also wrong. And anger is, is really just murder below the surface. Okay, that, that's, all, that's all Jesus is talking about. Because really it reflects this, this murderous desire to make people pay, to rob them of their identity, to rob them of their worth. Because of how people have perceived that they've been wronged. But that's, that's not the Jesus way. See, in his kingdom we, we look beyond the outward act. Right? We, we look to the heart. We, in his kingdom, anger must give way to reconciliation. And the thing is, like, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't just talk the talk. Like, Jesus is our perfect example of what this looks like. Right? Jesus comes down from heaven. He leaves his throne, his glory in heaven. He comes down to live this, this humble, poor life, 33 years, sinless Right? And, then he, and then he goes through this whole ordeal which finally ends with him being hung on the cross to pay for our sins. Right? He had no sin and he's dying a sinner's death. And while he's on the cross, while he's being murdered, he says, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. They're in the act of murdering him and he's already reconciling the relationship with them, with us. Because it was our sin that put him there. And so if Jesus can forgive us for that, then he has every right to call us to forgiveness for whatever's going on in our life. And look, I know there's some people in here who are dealing with some stuff. (laughs) There's some hurt in our lives. There's some relationships that have been broken and strained and stressed. And the thought is maybe like that can never be forgiven. What they did can never be forgiven. But that's not who God calls us to be. That's not the way Jesus lived his life. And so he has every right to call us into forgiveness. See, the, the, the gospel is, is really good news. Jesus brings good news because he, he changes the human heart. Because this whole idea, this whole thing that the Bible talks about, like Christianity is not just this like DIY self-improvement thing. Right? It's not just about making yourself a better person. It's not just about doing good things. It's not just about becoming a good person on the outside and then being filled with greed and anger on the inside, right? That, that's, that's not what Christianity is about. He calls us to, to be something different. Below the surface, every single one of us are desperately in need. Every one of us. And what we're in need of is, is our Savior. We're in need of what he did on the cross. And Jesus, he came to forgive our sins. He came to reconcile us to God, to make us new creations, to change us 
from the inside out. And so he invites you into that relationship. He invites you into a place where you understand, like, if he can forgive me, then I can forgive other people. And he invites you to make that choice today. He invites you to entrust your life to him. He invites you to entrust your eternity to him. Because the cross goes beyond this life. And the most important decision you will make in this life is whether or not you put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus says, when you do that, I, I, I promise you that I will be with you always. Everything that you're going through, every struggle, every hurt, every pain, everything that you're dealing with, Jesus is with us through that process. And so if you haven't trusted in God, if you haven't trusted in Jesus and what he did on the cross for you, why wait? Today's the day. Tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us. So don't put off the most important decision you will make in your life. Put your trust and your faith in Jesus and forgive people. Reconcile those relationships in your life because Jesus forgave you. Let's pray together. Father God, I would just bow our heads humbly to you, God, and, and, and we're in awe of, of what you did for us. Just to imagine the seeing, God, to, 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 to look back to last week, to Holy Week, and, and, and everything that you went through for us. How can we not praise you, God? How can we not glorify you? How can we not be in awe that you would love us so much? So we thank you for being a God who, who is just. God, we thank you for being a God who has righteous anger. God, we thank you for being a God who sent his most precious possession to die on the cross for us because we're broken, God. We are sinners. We are desperately in need of your grace. So God, I just pray for, for anyone in here who is, who is holding on to anger, God, who is holding on to that forgiveness. God, I pray you would move in their life. I pray that you would relieve them of that pressure. Let us be a people who, who forgive, God. Let us be a people who control and defeat our anger. We have so much to be grateful for, God. And, and, and whatever, whatever life has for us in store right now, God, whatever we're going through, God, we look to the cross and know that you've covered that. So, God, we thank you for who you are. God, this last song, we, we, we make a joyful noise for you, God. We lift you up in praise because of who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.